Well, good evening and welcome to Wednesday Evening Discipleship, meeting in connect groups across London and further afield. My name is Jamie Mulvaney and last week I spoke on how can we live life to the full right now. And tonight I want to ask the question, what is big in your heart right now? What is big in your heart right now? Or put another way, don't waste a crisis. I don't want to diminish coronavirus, the impact that it will have on our lives. And save a miracle, it's going to affect our lives for quite some time. And I think we're all coming to terms with that right now. But it's not the end of your story and my story. It will pass. What I want to caution against is making coronavirus too big in our hearts. Yes, it should be there, feeling God's compassion for those who are struggling and being aware of his compassion for you and me too and all the ways in which it is impacting us. But not to make coronavirus the biggest thing in our hearts. Coronavirus particles are surrounded by a fatty outer layer called an envelope and they usually appear spherical as seen under an electron microscope with a crown or a corona of club-shaped spikes on their surface. Now the point of a microscope, or in this case an electron microscope, is to make something that is small seem very, very big. And coronavirus is big. It's the invisible enemy and it's having a huge impact and destruction in its wake. And under the microscope we can see a small thing that is very big. On the flip side, the point of a telescope is to stop something that is actually very, very big and very far away from appearing small because it is so far away. And I think far too often we place our problems under the microscope, but we don't get out the telescope and see God for how big he is. And tonight what I want to suggest we do is that it's time to put down the microscope and to pick up the telescope. For you right now, I don't know whether it's the coronavirus, whether, whether it's something connected to it that is big in your heart and your mind. But we can get so fixated on those things, sort of myopically sort of staring into the microscope. In verse 12 of Psalm 40, which we're looking at tonight, David, he sees his own sin and he sees evil around him to the point that he says he cannot see. And the devil would love nothing more than for you and me to be so overwhelmed by our guilt right now. So overwhelmed by the odds that are, are stacked against us. But that's all we focus on. Jago spoke to us on Sunday as a church about getting a new perspective. And can I urge you to listen to that talk? God, he, he cares about what we see and how we see it. And I don't mean to sound flippant here, but never waste a crisis. You know, this may seem huge. It might be small, but if it matters to you, it matters to God. Eric Liddell, he wrote, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love.
I have good news for you tonight. Tonight, we're going to put God's word under the microscope. We're going to look at Psalm 40. Can I encourage you to get out your Bible and have uh, a look at Psalm 40 with me? If you have a look there in the first three verses, verses one, two, and three, they're really sort of a microcosm for the rest of the psalm, all the 17 verses of the psalm. And what does David write in verse 12, in verse two? He says, God lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. David, he, he doesn't pretend that the pit isn't there, that the crisis isn't there. He's in the pit. He's not an escapist here. Look down to verse 12. He says, for, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. You know, this is not burying your head in the sand. In verse, in verse 1, he is waiting on the Lord. Maybe you're waiting on the Lord. Maybe it's felt like you've been waiting for far too long. Maybe you, like David, could say, my heart is failing within me. God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to show up? When are you going to free me from the, the sin that so often entangles me or from the, from the situation that I find myself in? You know, this is not about pretending that things aren't there. But what should we make big in our hearts right now? Maybe you've heard the story about uh, the man who is walking down the street when he falls into a hole. And the walls are so steep that he can't get out. And a doctor passes by and the guy shouts out, hey, hey, you, can you help me out? And the doctor writes a prescription. He throws it down the hole and he moves on. And then a priest walks along and the guy shouts out, father, I'm, I'm down here in this hole. Will you help me out? And the, the priest, he writes a prayer and he throws it down the hole and he moves on. And then a friend of this man in the hole walks by and our friend, he, he shouts up and he says, hey, Joe, it's me in here. Can you help me out? And his friend jumps in the hole. You know, and our man says, what are you doing now? Now we're both in here. And the friend says, well, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. We have a friend who has jumped in the pit and he knows the way out. So this is not about pretending that you're not in a pit right now when you are, in fact, in the pit. But it is about letting God meet you there in the pit. And Jesus, he was in the boat when the storm came. He is in your boat right now and he is with you in the pit. And the good news is that we have is that Jesus does not leave you there in the pit. And this is the first thing that we make big in our hearts. It's it's salvation. Because when you're in the pit, you can't do a thing for yourself. This is not a story about us somehow climbing our way up out of the pit, but it's about God coming down. Jesus, he has come into the pit and he knows a way out. He didn't send a note to us from a distance. He took on our needs. And so no matter how deep uh, we've gone, God's love and mercy, they are deeper still. However much you've messed up this past week, God, he stepped out of heaven into our reality and he can do the, the same for you and me today. So reconnect with Jesus where he first connected with you. What is the, the unique story that is individual uh, to you? What Jesus has done to you, personal to you? You know, I need reminding of this all the time, every time, every day for me. Because when we remember what Jesus has done for us, the pits he, he has pulled us out of, 
and the firm rock that he's put us on, our, our hearts will fill and they'll overflow with thankfulness and gratitude. And it helps us to wait for God in the now. So before you get out your telescope, actually, you don't need the telescope. The wonder of God is not out there, but the wonder is that God, he is right here. And if you feel like you're in the pit right now, Jesus is right here with you in the pit. The second thing is this, is to enjoy God. Enjoy God. We're not just saved from something, but we are saved for something. We are saved to enjoy God and for him. Have a look in verse 16 there. David writes, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May, may those who long for your saving help, these people, they're still waiting on God. May they always say the Lord is great. This is magnifying God, rejoicing and being glad in him. But we so easily get distracted from this. A.W. Tozer wrote, It is not a cheerful thought that millions of us who live in a land of Bibles, who belong to churches and labour to promote the Christian religion, may yet pass our whole life on this earth without once having thought or tried to think seriously about the being of God. Few of us have let our hearts gaze in wonder at the I am, the self-existent self, back of which no creature can think. Such thoughts are too painful for us. We prefer to think where it will do more good, about how to build a better mousetrap, for instance, or how to make two blades of grass grow, grow where one grew before. And for this, we are now paying a too heavy price in the secularization of our religion and the, de the decay of our inner lives. When all is stripped away, when all is peeled away from our lives, is it God that you love? Or is it just the stuff that's around God, the, the things and the stuff around church? If God isn't the main thing in our hearts, then our inner lives will decay. H. Metters spoke on Tuesday on HTC Daily about ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. Jago spoken too about uh, being a ferret on steroids. And I too have experienced being far too busy in this time when it feels like we're being forced to slow down. You know, enjoying God in this moment, it will not happen automatically. And far more serious than the impact of a coronavirus on our system. If our response to whatever is going on around us is not towards God and to enjoy him, then we will die a death. But when we enjoy God, God is seen by others as great. He's seen as, as magnified. So we build on what we've uh, looked at so far. The first thing is to, to make big is salvation. And then what we see in verse 5 is that when we, when we look back on what God has done, not just for others, but his unique story of salvation for us, then we are filled with wonder and awe. And then we see there in verse 6 to 8 that it's not about what we can do for God, but what God has already done for us. We see in Hebrews 10, the, these verses are actually quoted again to tell of someone even greater than David, who, who told his father that he would willingly live the obedient life and die the death that uh, you and I deserved in order to bring us to God. And so for us, everything we do is a response to God. And as you enjoy God, as you wander in him, just like David, you too will, in, in verse 8, desire to do his will. His law will not be on your back as a heavy burden, 
but big within your heart by his Holy Spirit. His words, his plans, his best for you will be big within your heart. John Newton wrote this, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. And as you enjoy God, as you are filled with wonder and find him beautiful, as you obey him, you will serve him not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly and play a huge part in his story. So what do we make big? Well, God's salvation, first and foremost. Now, as, as we wonder in that, we will enjoy God and enjoy him in our hearts and he will be big in us. And then this enjoying God, it means seeking his presence. This is not just about us being saved from something, but being saved for something. In verse 2, David writes there, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You know, this is not somewhere solid that's apart from Jesus. You know, thanks for the leg up, Jesus. I'll take it from here. Now, this is Jesus. He is the solid rock. He is the solid foundation for our lives. And the world might be falling apart, but Jesus, he is firm ground to stand on. He is solid ground to build your house on. And as I said, that before you get out the telescope, the wonder of God is not that he is out there somewhere, but that he is in here. He is right here. You, you might be wanting a big worship experience at church at the moment, but that's not possible right now. You can't even engineer an encounter with God anyway. But you don't have to wait a moment to encounter him. God, he is with you in your every day, even when you're isolated at home. If we go back to verse 16, David writes, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. What do we seek? We seek God. Another psalm, very much like this psalm, Psalm uh, 27, that David also wrote that psalm. And what does he write there? He, he writes, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And tonight, our psalm, Psalm 40, it begins and it ends with waiting on God. And where David says that he waited patiently, the Hebrew literally says that I waited, waited. And in Hebrew, that the, the doubling of a term, it conveys intensification and magnitude. And this is the task of our lives, is experiencing God and waiting on him, practicing the presence of God. We are saved to know and to experience God, not just what he can do, but who he is. In verse five, David looks back to all the great things that God has done and what he has planned for us in the future, saying there's too many of them. I was reminded of that verse that there's no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You know, God, he has planned so much for you and me, so many treasures, but the greatest treasure of all is himself, is his presence with us. 
And God's presence transforms us. He, he points us back outwards. He, he leads us to be different, to, to do away with the microscope and to not be led to unhealthy introspection and navel gazing and being turned in on ourselves, but being turned outward. Our job is to continually have a clear vision of God. And as we enjoy him, our joy in him is a mirror that reflects how great he is to the world. And in a time which seems so uncertain, where the dark is getting darker, the, the light is getting lighter. William Temple, who was Archbishop of Canterbury during the Second World War, he said this. The world can be saved from political chaos and collapse by one thing, and that is worship. It was true in the 1940s. It's still true today. It's not only is worship powerful, but lives that worship God show to a scared society that is in the pit someone that we can depend on, like David did. What this world needs is worship. And you're a worship leader. Congratulations. You may not have realised that before, but you are commissioned as a worship leader. Have a look there in verse 9 to 11. That, God, that David, he proclaims God's saving acts in the great assembly. And then verse 11, he does not conceal God's love and faithfulness from the great assembly. You know, we might not be gathered together physically in all one place, but we've never been more connected. You know, do not cut yourself off from the church right now. Do not cut yourself off from those who don't know him, because you are a worship leader. How do you lead worship? Well, step one. Marvel at God. Step two, learning to play the guitar. That's, that's optional. That's not necessary. Your story is one from being taken from the mire to the choir. And may it be one day said that you made God real to people, even in this moment. The, the band U2, they wrote a song based on this psalm. And you may not have the guitar skills of the edge or have as cool shades as Bono, but you too stand at the crossroads between the church and a world that is in the pit. And how will you emerge from this? You will emerge from this with a, a song in your heart and a spring in your step. God, he will use this time for his glory. You know, I pray that we won't emerge from this time like people did from the Great Depression into just wild hedonism but that we would be people who are hedonistically focused on God, enjoying God even more than we did before. I love what John Piper says, that God, he is most glorified in us. He's most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in him. David, in, in verses 14 and 15, you can see that he's not afraid of uh, what's against him. Look there, he says, aha, aha. I mean, it sounds a bit like Alan Partridge there. And basically, we're not to put all these things, all these things that are coming against us underneath the microscope, but it's to wait on God who is with you. You know, you and I, we can be like David in London today. We can live a life of wonder and passion and draw others out of the pit because we're not made to be in the pit. We're made to stand on the solid rock and sing, stand on Christ, the solid rock. So much is giving way in our society. But you standing on the solid rock, you are a beacon of hope to those around you. In verse 3, David encourages us to, to sing a new song. And verse 17, we see that the song is that the Lord is great. 
And what will your new song be from this time? Now, each time God has lifted me out of the pit, he has given me a new song. And, and this is why we have times where we sing out our own songs in worship. You know, this is not just songwriting that is for, for Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts and Tim Hughes and Ben Hayes and Rory Heaton. But you know God being real in your life. You know um, God's reality for you. And you are a worship leader. It's time for the, the church to regain a bit of confidence, not in ourselves, but in what God has done and who he is to boast in our weakness, to boast about how great God is. You know, it's time for us to have a bit of holy discontent, to just talk about the great heroes of the faith, the same old sepia-toned heroes of the faith, but to talk about what God has done for you and for me in today's day and age. Because God, he is the hero of your story and my story. You know, he's taken me out of multiple pits, too many to tell you right now. And often it didn't feel like it in the middle of being in the pit. And sometimes it's felt like waiting on God for a very, very long time. But he has always lifted me out of the pit. He has always put my feet on solid ground. And he has always led me somehow to a place of, of glorifying God, that God's name would be great even through the battles and through the things that I have faced. It's led to creativity and, and God being glorified in ways that I couldn't have possibly imagined in the moment. Your relationship with God is not static. You know, he gives us new perspectives, new passions, new mercies every day to sing about. He's always revealing more of himself to us so that we might sing the praise of his glorious grace. You know, this is not about you and me putting on a brave face so we look all shiny for those who don't yet know God. It's not about pretending that you're the finished article. Because there in verse 17, David says, though I am poor and needy, the Lord thinks of me. God, he looks at you and he sees you with microscopic detail. And yet he loves you to the very height of the heavens. And he loves you far too much to leave you in the pit. Make God big in your heart and he will give you a big purpose that when is when all is said and done when when the history books are written that you and i as we enjoy god as we magnify him verse three many will see and fear the lord and put their trust in him don't waste this crisis say god god would you glorify yourself would you glorify your name through this crisis wait for the lord amen